Welcome, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I am your host, Jeff Z, Jeffrey Salaji. So glad to have you here. Season one is afoot, and we are kicking it off by exploring not just human nature, but particularly the facet of fathers and fathering, the impact and the influence they have on the lives of my guests. Hold tight, stay tuned, and listen in because we are about to journey into a series of conversations. It is incredible. Let's get into it. Let's get started. Here we go. So my name is Araceli Santos, and I knew that I wanted to marry Gavin from the first day that I met him. And then I'm going to fast forward, like at our wedding, I decided like, I can't change my last name to Bieber. Like what? <laughs> you know, and we were, we're in Mexico and it, he's Jewish and we're having all this like Jewish ceremony, but in Mexico, because I'm Mexican and I have family there. And, you know, Gavin had a talk with my mom, like, why, why is she having such a hard time with this? And my mom said, it's, it's her identity. And I'd never, I never in a million years would have thought I didn't want to change my name. And I haven't legally changed it. And it went through iterations of Araceli Santos de, like of Bieber, you know, D.E. Bieber yeah. and or hyphen or just Bieber. And just this morning, Gavin was setting up my email. I was like, just get rid of the, 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 of the hyphen. Let's just make it. And I'm down with the Bieber too. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like we're not just one person, you know, so mm-hmm. it's always evolving. <laughs> yeah, no, those are real identity issues. Alice and I have our own version of, of that uh, name change and what we were going to do. Cause she didn't want Salaji at all. So she had this like great uncle who was like a Dr. Treves who actually was the doctor for the elephant man. So we're like, oh, wow. Treves, we like that, you know? And so we're like, okay, we're going to change our name to Treves. I'm going to let go of Salaji, become Treves. We're going to find a new family name. And the day before our wedding, I thought I was going to like make this announcement and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't let go of my identity as Salaji. It was strange. And we ended up becoming Salaji Treves. And I, I used like, I'm Mr. Treves. My girls are Treves. And I've had this long standing, and I think this is more Latin, maybe Mexican, the matrilineal name goes to the daughters and the patrilineal name goes to the fathers. And I think if I had a son, I would be like, ah, I think he needs to be a Salaji, you know, and there's this, right. there's this feeling, you know, and I, it's, it's interesting. Wow. But, so I, I feel you. I, these are real identity issues of like, <laughs> who am I? And then there's like the sound of names and the feeling of them. And we got these cultures coming from different places and you know, <laughs> I know. Well, and then I, I was like, what does Bieber mean? It means Great question. Beaver. It means Bieber in German. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> what? <laughs> Beavers um, are great. They're, they're, they're beautiful great. animals. They live they in are. Aspen Forest. They do good work ecologically. They're, they and I've, I've seen some amazing videos of, um, because they have all these new cameras and like, you know, my friend sent me this video and it was just amazing the world okay. that they actually inhabit. Anyhow, so uh, welcome. I, I feel like we already started. So I'm just saying welcome Araceli <laughs> Santos Beaver to How Humans Work. I'm really glad you're here. As you know, this, this season's about fathers and about fathering and the impact of fathers. And I know you as my yoga teacher and a fitness instructor. And like I said a minute ago, I see you as much more than that in terms of how you hold yourself in the world and the spirit you bring in the world. And so my interest is, is, okay, here's this lovely spirit from Salinas. 
who has a mm-hmm. really beautiful relationship with her father, as far as I can tell, and who only who embodies values and grace in the way I've known you in, in really terrific ways. And I thought this would be a really interesting conversation. Arcelli, yeah, what's, what's her story with her father? Who's her father been <laughs> to her? Tell me, tell me. <laughs> Thank you. What a beautiful compliment. My father, oh God, he is my first love. Mm-hmm. He's just such a loving, loving, generous, humble, hardworking man. You know, he's an immigrant and he's a citizen now. He, he became a U.S. citizen by serving in the army. He was a medic in the army. He, he came from Mexico when he was young and he's second in, the, in line of seven siblings. And he's just probably one of the most emotional men that I've ever met and equally fiery and passionate. He would do anything for his family. I grew up with him calling me his queen and his princess in Spanish, mi reina. He, he's just honestly one of the most generous, loving, hardworking men that I've ever, ever met. And it's amazing that I settled on anyone because he set the bar really high with how much he loved me <laughs> and, and my sister and my brother. And, you know, I had their stories and I kind of remember them. My mom would tell me that I'm the eldest of three. My brother's 11 months younger and my sister, she passed away um, in 2004 and she's six years younger than me. But as the eldest, like total daddy's girl. And my mom said that, you know, when we'd go shopping that she'd say, don't get lost, don't stray, like stay with me. And, and I only spoke Spanish was when I was really little. And that I'd say, I don't have to worry because they're going to look at me and they're going to say there's Gustavo Santos daughter because she looks just like me. Yeah, I look just <laughs> like him. <laughs> and so I had this real like connection to looking like him and being his daughter and that everybody knew. I don't know how much you believe in astrology, but I'm a Libra and I have cancer rising, which makes me very sensitive. And I'm a Gemini moon. The Libra and the Gemini are very like, I'm constantly, you know, the air sign is I'm, I'm thinking, I think about things a lot and my feelings and how to put them into words. But I hated having him upset with me or feeling bad. And she, she'd say that when I was pretty young, and I actually kind of remember this, like he, if he was upset with me about, or if we had a disagreement or something that I would like walk by and I would just brush my shoulder against him. And then I'd walk by the other way and like try to get his attention until, <laughs> until he, he couldn't, he could never be mad at me. He could never stay mad at me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I just, Oh, I mean, I, I remember falling asleep and having him carry me to bed for as long as I possibly could. And I was a big kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was a big kid. I was the biggest of the three. Like I grew really fast. I was tall and I was, and I was solid. And so, you know, was- a little side note on that. My daughter has confessed to my wife and I that they would pretend sometimes that they were asleep in the car just so we could carry them in. Absolutely. I remember doing that totally. And my kids too, like I've, I've seen them. I mean, my son is, he's a lot like me in that he's 13 now and he's nearly six feet tall. And okay. He's, he's a big kid. So I wasn't able to do that for that long with him as I was with, with Mika. Yeah. It's, you know, I have such an incredibly special bond with my dad. He's 83. So the thought of, and he right now, one of his oldest brother, my uncle is very sick. And I think mm-hmm. they're going to, you know, they're saying goodbye to him 
pretty soon. And it, it really scares me because I can't imagine not having my dad around. I think he still looks at me and sees that kid. Like, I don't think he looks at me and sees his 48 year old daughter. Yeah. You know, for the longest time. <laughs> and this is just like, cause my parents are so attached to their kids. I'd go home to visit and he'd say, you know, you can, if things are not good, you can, all, and I never like, things are great. Gavin and I love each other. Yeah. You can always move back in home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, dad, I will uh, never leave you really, but like, but physically, yes, I have mm-hmm. to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, you but, know. but a deep and profound attachment with your father. So, so deep. And consistent. To the point, very consistent. And you know, he's, he's 83 and he's changed. He was, he's definitely, um, a little more, he's less filtered now than he used to be. He's a little more ornery. I mean, he's still loving and sweet and amazing. Um, but, but (laughs) he's a little salty. He's a little salty. He can be salty (laughs) and, but he's very, very sweet with me and I can call him out on things. I, he and my mom, I, I get, I was kind of the therapist in their relationship, you know, being them so private, like they would both share with me separately. So I was, I grew to be a listener from a very young age. Being a Libra, it was like, I would just listen and I wouldn't, and I, of course, and being, them being my parents, like I could never take sides ever. Mm-hmm. I would never do that. And it wasn't my place. And it wasn't until I was old enough that I told them this really isn't fair. This isn't really, this isn't my, I'm a daughter, not a wife or a husband. And what um, age, what age were you when you kind of were able to voice that? Uh, probably in my twenties. Probably not till I was in my twenties and my dad, actually they're both just as bad about sharing those things with me. And it's, and I, and as I get older, it's become easier for me to just put that boundary and, you know, let them know that, that I love them and I, and I'm here for them, but I can't really advise them on that because that's their personal relationship of the three kids. Like I was so close to my dad and, and my brother and sister, you know, are also close to my dad, but not, like I'm so forgiving and so loving and just hold a container that my dad could tell me anything. And just me listening made him feel held in love yeah. where, you know, my brother or sister might be like, you know, have a little attitude or, well, you da 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 da. And I would just kind of listen and let it be. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. It is an interesting thing. Most of the guests I've had so far have more than not talked about distances and gaps rather than being super close and too close in ways, you know? So it is, yeah. it is a really interesting thing to have somebody who's so loving, but yet I'm curious about this capacity to communicate with his partner and that gap and where that, where that left you and, and how that shaped, I mean, really how that shaped you. Yeah, you know, he, my mom and dad are nine years apart. It's interesting because I only know what they've shared with me. So I don't really know a whole lot of intimate details and I can only assume, but yeah, they had trouble communicating and they're not as alike. Like my mom is very creative and romantic and poetic and she writes poetry and she likes to paint and she's really into art. And, you know, she's, she's also a Libra like me, although we're different. Um, And my dad is a realist. My mom is religious and my dad is like science and he both believes in aliens and <laughs> it's like, yeah, so, so different, you know, yeah. and, yeah. um, and, and, and yet still they've been together over 50 years. Amazing. You know, it's, it's amazing. And I, for me, from a very young age, 
I don't know where I read this or where I got this or if it was just something that I knew or heard somewhere, but I always knew that whatever their issues were, like I would unravel that. Like I would undo that. Like, and not just me, but like the next generation is always bettering and bettering and bettering and bettering. Yes, and so yes. for, for me, it's not about having that. In fact, my relationship with Gavin couldn't be more different. It's like, he is my soulmate and I adore mm -hmm. him. And we communicate so beautifully. And even when I explode or he explodes, you know, I, I thrive on needing to communicate and work things out. So I've had to learn to give the space and then come back in, but I could never not communicate and have that kind of gap that my parents have. And, you know, now that I'm in a place where I have a college student who will be leaving soon, I don't feel the need to keep her bound to me. And in fact, I'm ready to let her go no matter how much it breaks my heart. And just knowing that every time I left my parents up until God, my thirties, maybe they would cry. I mean, and it broke my heart, like saying goodbye. Their entire world is their children and they have other interests and other things they do, but we are their like source of life. And so it's a miracle that, my sister's passing didn't like take them out, like really take them out in a bigger yeah. way. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's amazing that it didn't divide them. They did, you know, work through that uh -huh. um, because they're so different and they're in how they work through things. So to answer that question, how has it, it I mean, it showed me all the ways I didn't want to be for sure yeah. Yeah. without judging, without just knowing that they did their best it showed me what I, what I didn't want to be and what I did want to be. And, you know, they have so many loving and beautiful qualities as parents, as a, as a partnership, not so much. So 1938, Mexico. Yeah. What part of Mexico? Uh, the state of Jalisco. Okay. Yeah. In a small little town called Ameca. And what's your father's name? Gustavo Santos, but he was actually Jose Gustavo Santos. But my grandmother gave two of his other brothers the first name of Jose. So as soon as he could, he had it legally removed. <laughs> he was like, no. Yeah, well, I, I can't but be amused by his need to individuate and yet not quite understand your need to individuate. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing, though, because my dad, like being the firstborn, then being from Mexico, my mom came when, you know, she was 19 and okay. met him instantly or 18 you know, they're both very, I mean, they were very, very conservative. They're, I've definitely broken them in. Not that I was insanely wild, but I, I always pushed to do things in a different way. Like I wasn't allowed to shave my legs in high school. What is that? <laughs> I wasn't allowed to wear a mini skirt. Like women didn't wear Levi's makeup, you know, it was just like this crazy thing. Yeah. And, you know, I wore makeup. I put it on as soon as I got to school on picture day. And so they got to see it in my pictures, which is so nuts. I, you know, I convinced <laughs> my mom to let me shave my legs. Um, I wasn't allowed boyfriends. They, they tried to keep me innocent. It was like, they yes. weren't respecting that I was, I was like a force. And although I was very sweet, it was like, okay, well, then I'm sneaking out at night yeah, and I'm not going to tell you where I am. So I, yeah, it was the reason that I bring that up is, you know, my dad was always like, I'm not allowed, I'm not allowed. And then now in my 40s, you know, I'm like creating the story and my mom is having, you know, it, it all started with my sister. 
my newest one is um, pink yarrow, which is boundaries. It's mm-hmm. my plant ally, which I take mm-hmm. all the time. My mom sees them and she's like, what are you doing? Just because there's listeners, we're talking about the tattoos on your forearm right now. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And my dad, he's like, leave her alone. It's her body to do with what, you know, as she pleases, like, you know, and so it's such an interesting thing to now, I mean, obviously it's, I'm 48 now. So he could still say that though. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? <laughs> you know, that's so disgraceful, but no, it's like, that's her body. It's her way of expressing herself. Let her yeah. be. Yeah. Well, those are Very great. Supportive. Those are great stories. For me, I can relate with my own, if I understand the story of your parents, right. I'm afraid of what I don't understand. Um, but I could imagine coming from a small village, you know, and coming to America and then raising kids that that would be a real challenge of parenting kids in a new culture. And I think it's, you know, he's not, your parents aren't alone in that particular challenge. No, not at all. In fact, you know, he's, as I said earlier, he's a second one in line of seven and he has sisters. And so I think he came to the U.S. He was probably about 12 or 13 years old. Mm-hmm his brother was 13 or 14. And so he had younger sisters and, you know, they pretty much grew up in California, right there. And, and he did too, for that matter. I mean, at that age. So by the time he went to the army, those younger sisters were dating boys. They went to high school in California and they were up to no good. And so he had this idea of, like right and wrong behavior, even though he, he didn't know what they were up to, like finding that his youngest sister was pregnant and they only found out like right before she was having the baby because she hid it. And, you know, all this insanity. And my dad is like, his moral compass was like, his famous quote to me as a teenager in high school was never do anything good that looks bad and never do anything bad that looks good. (laughs) Okay. I have to digest that one. Okay. Say (laughs) Say that one more time. Never do anything bad that seems good, that looks good, and never yeah. do anything good that seems yeah. bad, that looks yeah. bad. Like, yeah, yeah. don't do anything. Don't do anything, basically. <laughs> it was like, you yeah. know, if I was out front, if I was out front with my boyfriend, he'd say the neighbors can see you. Yeah. The neighbors can see yeah. you. Say, stop doing that. Like, don't yeah. do that. Like, everyone in town knew my parents. Mm-hmm. Like, my mom was a, had a hair salon, so she mm-hmm. knew everyone. I couldn't do anything or go anywhere without my, and a lot like me, actually, my kids say, I know everyone. <laughs> Small towns, right? Small town, but also just your, your position in it, your gift in it. I, I'm just sitting with the, the kind of paradox, like your, your family system's really intact, you know, and your dad's really consistent. He's really there. He's really loving. And my, my kind of persistent question is like, how did your father find you? And in this way, he found you the whole time, if I understand your story right. Like he was there, but there was this way you needed to find yourself apart from how he found you because he was so ever present. I want to hear your favorite or another favorite story about like how your father saw you as his daughter. But then I want to also hear a story, if you would be willing, about how you had to find yourself as his daughter in your, on your own terms? Because I think if I understand your individuation process, those are important pieces to it. They are. And um, as, I, I don't want to say wild, because I really wasn't that wild, but I, but I was, because I was trying to like, you know, establish myself. Mm-hmm. So as like forward moving as I was in, in high school, and I was always 
younger because my birthday's in October. So mm-hmm. I graduated at 17 when a lot of my peers graduated high school at 18. Or So I always felt younger in, in my peer group. But I, I also, as much as I felt like I was, I wanted to advance more than I could, I feel like I, I have always been also cautious and slow moving in a, you know, weirdly enough. And so in the process of individuating myself for my, my dad, it took a while. I mean, I want to say even after I got married and, and even after I had my first child and maybe not even until my sister passed away, did that process really start to happen? Because um, even though I knew I had this and I, I have this kind of larger than life energy about me, like, and I really thrive on the one-on-one there was a constant fear to share myself in a bigger way in a larger forum and losing my sister just drove that home even more. Like it was really traumatic. Um, and, and obviously, you know, huge feelings around that. And so in that time, her best friend who was like a sister of mine got married and my sister would have been the maid of honor. So they made me the matron of honor. And of course, with that comes public speaking, it was the very first time that I actually gave like a, a, a little toaster speech and, and I thought I was going to die and it was great and it was fine. And I did it. And then, you know, not long after one of my very best friends who was also a um, best friend of my sister's got married in Mexico and she had over 200 guests at her wedding. And I was one of the maid of honors as well. And I was, and she's, she's in advertising and they know a million people, professionals. And right. I was, crawling out of my skin. Um, <laughs> Gavin was there. My parents were there. We all were all close to her and her family too. And Lucien, my youngest was already born. He was still nursing. Thank God. It was the thing that got me out of my speech. <laughs> that wow. Gavin, had, Gavin had to go up and, you know, give the toast for me. I mean, the many things happened that night, but that's where I ended up having to be dealing with some other stuff. The big thing that came for me out of all this was I needed to stop hiding, right? I needed to yeah. really step into who I am. Yeah. Um, and so I decided that I wanted to, to do a yoga training. And I'd been doing yoga for years. I decided to go to a Baron Baptiste training and I didn't know anything about it. And, and I'll just give you a little insight into me. I, you said, do I have any questions? Do I want to know anything? I never ask questions. I just jump in. It's this crazy thing where... I'm cautious, but I'm, I throw caution to the wind at the same time. So I take my time, but then I just dive in without asking questions. And so I sign up for this training. I go to Tulum where it happens to be all on my own. And I tell Gavin, don't expect me to teach. I don't know where this is going, but I know that I need to crack something open. Mm-hmm. And so I go to this training and it's insane. It's not like the 200 hour that we do at Marin power yoga or anything that I could have ever imagined. This is like deep excavating work, really getting into for me and, and the work that they were doing, just taking me back to being a little girl, taking me back to fears, taking me back to so many things. Like there were 200 people. We had the public speak with a mic the way that I stood in front of the crowd, I got called out. I had to stand with my feet open and my arms away from me. I had to like stare at everybody. I cried so much during that training yeah. and I, I grew so much. I was taken through a meditation that brought me back to my chubby little five-year-old self. I got to say a lot of really beautiful things to her and it was 
very, very, very beautiful and very sweet. And I get emotional every time I think about it. And, you know, that was when I realized that I really needed to continue moving forward and taking steps and growing into myself rather than continuing to make myself small, perpetuating this small thing and staying mm-hmm. in a box of being a certain way or mm-hmm. needing to look a certain way or sound a certain way. And that really marked the beginning of that, me stepping into that path. The next big thing that I did was the MPY training, even though I had been teaching already. And it it was really like a natural progression for me to then be one of the teachers. When I took it as a student, um, you do more excavating work, which by then I was like, this is a walk in the park compared to the meditation. (laughs) (laughs) That was literally, I crawled out of my skin for almost a week. And at the end of my MPY training, I shared that I'd had eating disorders my entire life growing up, which was something I'd never, Mm. ever admitted or said out loud to anyone. And that was like a weight, you know, lifted off my shoulders and I shared about, you know, my sister's passing, which was suicide and how I'd never really done anything to honor it. And I had this burning desire to do that. And, you know, within months, I was doing the suicide prevention walk at night with my mom and a group of girlfriends. And, you know, at the end of the MPY training, you write a really, well, in my case, long speech. And you, <laughs> it didn't have to be long. It didn't have to be long. <laughs> um, yeah. But I had to read it. I had to read it because I was so nervous because I invited yeah. my parents and I shared about my eating disorder, mm. and, you know, which was something I had never mm. done. I'd never, you know, Gavin's known me since I was 19. I'd never spoken those words to him or anyone, you know, and there were close friends clearly that, you know, had to know that had to know, but no one ever felt, well, maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But no one ever said anything to me. So what, you know, it was me finally coming forward and like, stepping into myself and releasing these things and sharing these things and, and also sharing in a way, you know, I'll go back to my dad, how when I was a very young girl, when I was probably five years old, I was bigger than my siblings and all my cousins and everyone. And, you know, I was a very chubby Mexican girl. I look back at those pictures and I'm like, yeah, I was chunky, but it's cute. Like I show my kids those pictures and my daughter's like, Oh my God, mama, you are so cute. I wish I had known you at that age. Look how adorable you are. And, and, you know, just to see myself through those eyes, it makes my heart swell. Yes. But at that time, my dad was like, what is wrong with her? We need to take her to doctors, you know? And so they discovered that I had an inactive thyroid gland. And so by probably five or six years old, I was taking Synthroid, which is like crack. And I had heart palpitations. I lost weight overnight. My mom said it was really scary how skinny, how thin I got. And so there was a little part of me that, you know, my dad adores and always adored and worshiped me, but he also would look at me like, do you really need to eat that? Are you really hungry for that? Like Mm -hmm. you just ate, that's not good for you, you know? And, and I know that it was concern in his mind. He was protecting me from how other people would perceive me or how I would Mm -hmm. be treated you know, so I brought that up in my <laughs> damn right. You should have damn right. I did. Yeah. I did. I did. And so that was a really, you know, pivotal point for me. Yeah. First, I'm honored that you're just sharing this part of your 
you're sharing your story with me. I'm really super honored about that. And um, the, the kind of personal takeaway that I'm getting by listening to your story about your father is that you can be a really good loving person, but if you're not conscious of your fears as a parent, even that can be problematic, even if there's a lot of love around. And, you know, compassion, there's a lot of reasons to have compassion on every human being for what we don't know, for what we can't cope with and how we respond out of our fears. So I love all the work you've done. I mean, like, I'm so glad, like, I, I know you as the other side of what you've gone through and what you've overcome. I love that about you. I love being your student and love the, no. the, the vibes you bring and the intention you bring and the, um, and the large ownership <laughs> of, of your, your just strong, powerful self. I'm just stoked to hear that series of awakenings and how that's gradual. And I think for me, one of the things that strikes me is that for me, life is a, a series of reimaginations, you know, like, okay, I was here and what I was understanding before was like, I didn't quite understand as much as I do now. So what's it look like now? And, and I don't think that as a young adult or even as a child, you get how much potential there is for growth in the decade of the 40s or 30s. I kind of think you kind of get it in yeah. teens and 20s, but there's still so much to, to find about oneself. Oh my God. Mm. I can't agree with that even. I, I, I mean, my 20s were so angsty and emotional yeah. and I was head over heels in love with Gavin. I met him at 19. And so it was, I mean, I was like, just in love to the point of scaring the poor guy. So my 20s were, you know, <laughs> My early twenties were were intense, and and for me, and then I had my daughter at twenty nine. Okay, you know, twenty nine years old when yeah. when you know Mika actually Saturn returns her, just to throw in a little astrology, right? You yeah. know, it was yeah. like, and 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 then and that threw me on my head because you know I always knew that I wanted to get married and have kids, and obviously with Gavin, but then he was the one that said, "Okay, it's time, let's have kids," and I was like, ah, <laughs> "Now, <laughs> like now." Totally. I had the exact same feeling with my wife too. She's like, okay, let's do this. I'm like, really? No, I don't know if I'm ready. Um, it was like, we're two pigs in mud. We're both pig years, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm I know, 71 yeah. too. Totally. Awesome. Um, you know, it's really interesting about like the growing up part and the life development it is this 20s angsty, 20s exploration. And then you start making adult choices and history starts coming back. I was working, my wife was taking care of kids and all of a sudden we weren't both working and playing together. We were like not in sync anymore. And so all of a sudden there was all these new tensions and we moved from like our little, you know, sharing apartments. We had our own house and just even the psychological structure. We have our own house. Like, <laughs> like I'm not comfortable with that. This feels weird. I, I, I left the home a long time ago and now I'm coming back into one. And then, and then all of a sudden I started realizing like, oh, that's what my dad was upset about. <laughs> Like, like I, I took me 35 years to catch up with his frustrations, but I could finally understand his, his condition and his experience of just the, the psychological tensions and in, in, in mating and child rearing and all those particular yeah. things. But the spiraling, and then all of a sudden my kids are going through the ages I was and I'm back at my own kids' ages going, oh yeah, right. Or, or I could see myself start to have feelings based on my dad's age could start to tie parallels between my behavior and impulses and like how I was feeling about myself and where my life should go or the choices I made. And I could start seeing like, wow, th these imprints are very subtle. They're deep and, and there's mm -hmm. clockwork in there that's so 
just completely fascinating. It really is. And it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that. And, and actually, thank you for, you just, you know, my kind of mind blown a little bit with the, with you saying that you were in an apartment and then the whole work shift happening and then you being in a home and you're like, what the hell, this is not what I want. Like, this, where, why am I back in a home? And Gavin and I had that same struggle and he is not, a, he's a, he's a Sag and articulating things has always been like trying to pull them out of him. So it was hard for him to express that, but that was exactly what he was, he's gone that he goes through. You know, it's, and, and I'm like, home, home, ground. <laughs> He's like, no, no. Adventure, Even, adventure, adventure. Yes, yes, totally, totally, totally creative adventure. You yeah. know, he, he's down making music in a studio right now. Each generation of men, I think, has their own struggle with, okay, how do I move into this territory of, of fatherhood, of partner, all those things. So from, from your point of view, how did you help him through his own transformations of, you know, to be well, where he's at today? I feel like I can say without a doubt that the hardest thing, the biggest struggle that we've had is just financial stability, like how to, and just because, and, and not that it means everything. I just don't want to worry about money. I want to be in a place where it's not that I'm swimming in it, but that I don't have to worry about it. You know, that things get paid and it's not like an insane concern. And, you know, growing up, you know, like my dad provided, he didn't go to college. Gavin's an Ivy League graduate. So there's this pressure from my dad also, what kind of job does he have? What does he have a nine to five? Like, does he have a 401k? Like, mm-hmm. How's he providing? Like, how are the kids colleges going to get paid for? And, you know, and it's for the longest time, it was like, Oh, dad, we like adore each other. We love each other. We, mm-hmm. and, and I do, I do continually come back to that. I'm going to jump around a little bit because you know, I, my brother is highly successful. He's, he has more money than he knows what to do with. He's also a workaholic and he's divorced and he doesn't have love. And he has a son who has everything that he could ever want, who has a broken relationship with his mom. Yeah. And, I, and it, it breaks my heart, but I just constantly, you know, have to say, I may not drive this car or have that in the bank or have a 401k. And I may have to get really resourceful about how I'm sending my daughter to a private university or how my son is in private school, which hello, they're in private schools. That's crazy. You know, it's, I'm so grateful for so much. Um, but I, I can tell you that I have so much love. I have Mm -hmm. so much love. And at the end of the day, no matter what struggles we've ever had, I wake up every morning and I'm just so grateful for the Mm -hmm. love that I have in my life. And that, you know, Gavin and I have the love that we have the really beautiful thing. And I, and I often also, pray to love him in the same way that he loves me because he just adores me and I love him, but he's just so good at like, you know, showing it all the time. Yeah. Um, how have I helped him grow? I, I feel like at some point I, I made a, um, a commitment to myself that I couldn't fix him mm-hmm. and that I should never want to fix him because I, I love him and I, you know, I fell in love with him for who he is, not this idea of who I want him to be. Mm-hmm. I made a commitment to myself to lead by example. So if there was anything that ever annoyed me or bothered me, or it's like, instead of being that like luxury or that like ugh, nitpicking wife, I would rather just be, be the best version of myself and lead by example. Um, unless it was something that really required talking through like parenting. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, you know, that, that interesting, that the relationship, father, daughter, father, son, or, you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do a season on mating and mating choices and how, how we, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's, it's good, right? They're, they're real issues. And, um, uh, I read this fantastic book called the evolution of desire by David. I think it's David Buss is the author. He lays out a lot of, um, you know, cause in evolutionary biology, a lot of it actually gets down to the nature of eggs and sperm and, and, and a lot actually arises out of those deep structural natures, but mating is a real issue. And, and I realized in my own life, my mating strategy was not to be a, a world conquering financial powerhouse. Mine was to be yeah. emotionally in tune, creative, probably a good, you know, dad, I'm hoping, you know, and that, that was my strategy. And, and I think in, you know, more primitive societies that we didn't specialize so much. You're kind of more well-rounded, but not so good, extraordinarily at one thing and not so good at other things. But I realized in my own life that that, that, that mating strategy has creates long-term conflict. <laughs> I mean, it was good, <laughs> it was attractive, but so we have these other needs around structure, householding, right? Or even your, your father's consistency, right? Right, so we, we're, yeah. we don't, when we're young and we're in love, we don't fully grok you know, what's at, what's at stake with a relationship and, and, and the way and the nature life uh, succeeds. So I really appreciate those struggles because I, I really I identify with that in my own, my own path of like, God, to be creative in this world is hard to feel valued. But I think you're hi highly valued and respected in your community in so many ways, especially as being one of your students. But you started talking about your commitment to love. And I think that's a place of of wisdom that you hold in the world. And I'd really love to hear a little bit more about that conversation that you have with yourself and with the world and the importance of loving. And, and you, you've alluded to a few things. You wake up every day, you work with your gratitude. You, <laughs> you say, look, I'm not going to be the complainer. I'm going to be the person who embodies this value, but I'd like to invite more of that out. So I, um, I'm going to start with when I was a very little girl, you know, we, we were a religious family and my mom is still very religious. And so we prayed, I prayed a lot. And my prayer was always for love. Like as long as I could remember, I've just, I knew that I, that like love was the way. And I don't know at a young age that I thought too much about it. I just knew in my heart and I prayed for love for everyone in my family. I prayed for love for my mom and dad, my grandparents, everyone. And and as I got older, that, that feeling of love in the world grew, like just approaching everything with a, a wide open heart. Not, not, not necessarily like vulnerable, but just authentic. And that hasn't changed, you know, at one point, um, my first tattoo was on my ankle and it was, and I didn't know that I had a cancer rising. I'm obsessed with moons. I, I got a crescent moon with a Chinese character that stands for love in my ankle my mom that it was henna that it would go away it never did <laughs> and um so i it love has always just you know like it was many of my passwords very young and i stopped praying at some point even though gavin being jewish i did go to shul with him and there was a different relationship with religion at that point it felt more ancient 
like it just felt really old and the music really spoke to me. I felt like it, it took me somewhere original. But somewhere in the last six or seven years, I started praying again. I, I have a, a group of soul sisters that are their medicine. They're part of this group called the Medicine Path, and it's in Berkeley. And and it's a Native American prayer group or church. They call it a church. And I didn't really know the first time I went what it would be like. They, you know, they invited me to this thing and just said it would be really beautiful and because I felt drawn to them and, and close to them. And I just knew it was something that I'd like. And, and it turned out to be like prayer, like in public speaking mode, kind of like in a, in a, in a dome, like a yurt. My initial, when I heard them saying God and God and thank you, God, I was like, Oh, this <laughs> is really overwhelming. I had no I'm idea. Back what in I that, I'm back in that house. I thought I left moment. Right. <laughs> totally. Yes. Totally. But then it quickly, and then, and I refused, of course, just being my father's daughter. I was like creator, the universe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I had a hard time saying God. I don't totally. know. Why. I got it. I got it. I want to hear, I want to interrupt. Cause I had this funny story where I was, I was in, I was living in San Diego at the time and I was, um, I, was, I, I went to a tryout for it was a, a dance show. It wasn't Blue Man. It was some other thing that uh, I just was not equipped for. But anyways, I, I met this woman and she was an actress and we were kind of dating and she was part of a choir and I went to this like African-American gospel church and she was like, anybody want to come up and like, you know, hey, uh, take Jesus in their heart. I'm like, no, I can't, I can't do that. I'm just, not, I've tried that Jesus thing before and I just, I can't take it in. I, like Van Morrison, Jesus, I'll take in every day, but like the church version, it doesn't work. And then they're like, how about uh, the Holy Spirit? I'm like, okay, I'll get up for that. You know? <laughs> and so I'm up there and he, then he's trying to slip in Jesus on me in that moment. And I'm, and I'm just in the same spot you are. I'm like, Holy Spirit. He's like, and take Jesus in your heart. I'm like, Holy Spirit. <laughs> and finally he gave up. <laughs> you know, when you're not ready, you're just not ready. Or yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, my mom tells me that that she loves Jesus all the time. I'm like, so happy for you, mom. Jesus is cool, but there's a certain way it has. I have I have my my wounds around and my my clarity around where there's social social stuff going on that yeah. I won't that I won't take in. But so there you are. You're at Medicine Path, and you're you're calling in the Creator. You know, it's cracking me wide open. Yeah. To things that I, you know, you think and you feel or you tell yourself that you feel, yeah. but you don't actually say them out loud, you know, to the, to the higher, to the greater, to God. So I've been to several ceremonies and then like women group ceremonies and Woodacre with these same women. And it began my own prayer practice again in a different way with an, with an altar and, you know, my like crystal allies. And, and I like to meditate with candles because it holds my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I find for me, it's and every prayer that I've had, whether it's in ceremony or on my own, it's I have so much gratitude for all the love in my life. You know, even in my yoga, like when I'm teaching yoga, when I'm doing yoga, everything comes from an expansive heart. All of it, it, it has to, or, or it feels inauthentic to me. And one of the things that um, I remember early on in my MPY training was not was being cautioned to not speak too much to those esoteric things. And I, I just, it's who I am. You know, I can't help saying, you know, like 
get expansive or come from your heart or speaking from that place because I, I mean it, you know, that's, it is where I'm coming from. And, you know, even when I, when I sit and meditate, it's, I have a hand to heart and a hand to my navel because that's my center of my intuition. And, and a lot of my meditations right now, I, I've been bringing both hands to my heart and breathing in and out of my heart and encouraging my students to do the same thing. I feel like, you know, it's really the thing that will bring everyone together is coming from that place. We're all still alike when we're in that place. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about listeners right now and I'm thinking, okay, if I'm listening, I'm, uh, and, and I am listening, um, that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, um, our, our like it's part of your nature, you know, that, that since your child, you just have this orientation, you have access do you have times where you're unable to access that open heart feeling and what do you do for yourself? And I, I think you gave some encouragement, but I would love just a little bit more just teaching on that way, your own self-corrective balancing practices or what you do for others. If I'm feeling like I'm not dropped into that place, I mean, generally I, I reside there. I, I live there. It is my favorite place to be and it's my mm -hmm. most comfortable, like it is my home. Mm -hmm. That is my home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll bring it to my daughter and, and where she is right now and, and feeling, you know, sad about not leaving for college and being here with us. And I'm, I'm not compelled to fix it because I know that it's something that I have to go through. Yeah. It's part of my growth. It's part of her growth. And I, ha and I sit with what is there as uncomfortable as it is. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time being sad. It's so uncomfortable for me. It's just not my natural state, but it's obviously everybody gets sad or angry or, you know, you ha we have our range of emotions, but I, and I try not to like fight my way out of those things. I try to sit and breathe. Movement is a big one for me. Um, you know, I mentioned that Gavin and I are running again and, you know, there's something about being outside at the end of the day before the sun sets and just having the breeze in my face. I, I, I'm kinetic. Like I need to be moving. I never realized this about myself. I actually thought I was lazy. Gavin says I'm insane. Um, and, and they're all like, you never stop moving. And I, I don't see myself that way, but I, I guess it is how I am. Um, and so movement is helpful. Yeah. Like movement is really helpful, whether it's a simple breathing exercise. Um, mm -hmm. You know, right now we're, we've, and I'm going to share this and I'm, it'll launch and you probably already know about it. The, um, the coaching program that we're doing with NPY, I have a beta group that I've been leading now for four weeks. Great. And, you know, that was incredibly nerve wracking for me. But mm -hmm. as my dad says, I've always taken leaps instead of small strides. And I never saw myself this way. I don't accurately see myself, but he said, you, you are always pushing yourself to be the better version of yourself. And you're always pushing to learn and grow. Yeah. And I guess I've always equated that with like books or academics, which were never my forte. And so I don't see that I'm doing that where my gift lie in my wheelhouse, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, one of the really beautiful things that I'm realizing about the coaching is I was super nervous to do it. And at the same time, it feels like the most perfect thing for me in the world. It feels so natural. Um, these week long meditations and things for these, these, I happen to have all women for these women in my group and, and it feels really fulfilling and it's all coming from a place of genuine love and listening yeah, tapping into the listening that I did a lot with my parents as a kid and, and really hearing, you know, what they're needing. 
I apply that same thing to myself when I'm having a hard time just listening to what's coming up. Yeah. I, I, I really do practice what I preach with myself. It's yeah. like I get down with the discomfort. You know, another thing that I've done recently to help is social media. I've cut that like less than in half. It, it was such a source of angst and anxiety and discomfort and all the things that I don't need in my life right now. And I pop in there every once in a while and post a little something, you know, I really struggle with feeling like I need to be out there and proving myself, but knowing that sitting back and listening and learning and dropping in is me. Hands down works. Yeah. It really works. I love that you brought your father back there and just saying that he really saw your nature as someone who takes leaps to, to be your highest self. That's nice. You know, and I, and I, uh, I, I, I'm going to get emotional now. Um, it meant more coming from him for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because even though we're close, you know, I, I don't, I don't feel like our conversations are ever that deep. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just my nature, always digging and searching for more depth. I don't know, you know, and not that they're, that they're not great conversations. They are. It felt incredible having him make that observation. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember one with my own father, we were, we were hiking in Lake Tahoe. I was, I was probably eight and it was just he and I had three brothers um, at that time. I have a sister now too, but um, he, uh, we were walking and he's like, uh, he said something just like, Oh, I forget that it takes your little legs more work to keep up with mine, you know? And there was just that kind of like, okay, yeah, he got me in that moment. You know, he got my, he got my experience and particularly when I wasn't even thinking of it myself. So I, I, I see that some of my conceptions of myself, there's certain things that I just can't see well about myself. And so, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to have it come from your father. Yeah. Mm. And that's, that's exactly it. You know, I, I, I said this to someone recently, I can't remember who, and it's true. Someone said it to me that we will actually never, ever see ourselves. You will never know what I see. You will never hear what I hear. It's all painted with, you know, (laughs) that's a season in itself. Um, Totally right. Like self, self, self identity, self image versus reality. True. true, Um, Yeah. I'm interested in those things. Those things are really fascinating. Um, So listen, I want to give you an opportunity to ask, you've opened up a great deal and I'm touched by it, but you're welcome to ask me anything if you feel called to, if you have a question for me. I do. And I just have to say that I equally, like, I love having you as a student. It's, you know, it's always, you're always so warm and I can feel that you're, you know, a heart centric and authentic person also. And I, and I just, I, I love, that I know you and thank you for inviting me in to do this. Yeah. Great. Great. What brought you to this work? Which work? What, like this podcast is digging <laughs> like this, what we're doing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a really good story. I mean, to me, it's a good story. Uh, <laughs> let's see if it's good for everybody else. But um, I made a commitment when I was um, 25 and Alice and I started dating and I was reading Homer's Odyssey the way Alice and I started our relationships pretty special in that I was in a room, it was Thanksgiving. We'd met each other at a conference a couple months earlier 
and I was playing this uh, bamboo saxophone um, down in, in, on the peninsula in San Gregorio near the beach. And I looked up in the doorway and Alice was there looking at me and I knew that she was my soulmate. Uh, and I, so I looked down and I took another look and I'm like, yeah, this, this, there's something, this is, this, she's it, you know? And so I spent the rest of the night trying to follow her around and talk to her and, 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 um, and it never kind of happened. So about five days later, I stopped by her place in Santa Cruz and I was like, Hey, um, uh, what happened for you the other night? And, and, <laughs> and she's like, Oh, it was nice. Good to see you. And I'm like, what happened to you? I'm like, well, I kind of saw this place where we could totally be in love with each other. And she, I just told her that I just put it out. Cause I didn't know I was nervous as, as fuck. I was so Aww. nervous. And her old boyfriend had moved out his final stuff that day. So she was like, Oh my God, she lit up. And then she's like, wait, I'm not so sure about this. <laughs> I, just, I just ended a relationship. So, so I was reading Homer's Odyssey and I just started reading it to her. And, and I can't remember if it was, I think it was then. Yeah. Um, but I, I realized that the story of lost fathers is a, is a long journey, you know, fathers mm -hmm. struggling to men and masculinity to be at home. And I identified and I saw my own father relationship, my own wounds and, and stuff and my, and my journey. And so it was this convergence of the Odyssey and my start of my relationship with Alice and, Anyways, I hadn't thought about it much. And then about, well, two months ago, I was up in Tahoe and I just was like, okay, I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to talk to 10 people about their fathers. And, and it's been such a great uh, renewal because I made a commitment that, that, you know, even the Buddhist story troubled me, right? If you know mm -hmm. the Buddhist story. No. Right? So Buddha was the prince. And yeah. he, he, it was the, in terms of astrology and everything, he was foretold to either become a great spiritual leader or a great king. But his father kept him enclosed in a small world full of delicious, beautiful, pleasurable things, including food, treasures, and women, right? So he had this thing, and then he got exposed to life suffering. He saw someone who was sick. He saw an old person. He saw a dead body. So suddenly his, his reality questioned. But he was married, and he had a kid, and he had to leave that kid. And he had to leave that wife in order for him to find his awakening. And in the Buddhist story, that was okay because of what he found. But I struggled with that. So I always wanted to be a Buddha at home. I wanted to bring that masculine energy home. So it's been a long theme in my life. But the actual like podcast idea was like, okay, like two months ago. I needed something to help me get through COVID. <laughs> I'm like, like, I'm like, so, so I self-assigned a project. I'm like, okay, here you go. Here's a creative project for you. Awesome. That, that's my answer. I love it. Oh my God. That's amazing. And I love that you wanted to bring the Buddha home. You know, you're evolving that story. It doesn't need to be the leaving and the stuff. I mean, there's enough suffering. There's suffering anyway. We don't need to make it that intense as you, you know, yeah, I think inside that image for me of the Buddha leaving, there was what I'd say my own trauma or my own uh, separations. I do think there's real challenges with our inherited biology and our motivations and our instincts that we need to find, like how do we get past unconscious living? How do we not mm -hmm. just habitually do things in a way that are unexamined or unchecked and, and yet how do we also honor and celebrate those, that nature and instincts in ways that work? And, and, 
that really is, is the, the challenge of each life, you know, each couple, each mom, each dad, each kid, mm-hmm. where each of us has to find those answers. And, um, but talking about them with, with people right. is a really good way to go. Yeah. I love that. And I resonate with that a hundred percent. So how can people find your coaching work? How can people find and, and uh, be your yoga student and your fitness after this, you know, or even currently online, actually? Currently online, they can go to online.marinpoweryoga.com. They can find me and other teachers teaching live, live stream, and also pre-records on demand. And the coaching will launch imminently. And, and I'm really excited about it. And it's really beautiful work. I'm doing some Reiki work and some Akashic Records work, bringing myself to a place where I'm just opening so that I can bring more gifts to people, more, more connected. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Jeffrey. Yeah, I love being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please follow us on your favorite streaming platform and share our podcast with your community and friends. All music is composed by the incredible Chase Jackson at chasejacksonmusic.com To learn more about this show, our guest, as well as Jeffrey and his work helping people find peace with their human nature, go to howhumanswork.us Until next time.